In today's scripture readings, there's one final character, a man named Paul. And in some ways, Paul, I think, is the most modern character in that he spent the first part of his adult life not only disinterested in the church and ambivalent about Jesus, as most modern Westerners and North Americans are, quite frankly, ah, what's the church really for? Jesus, take him or leave him, seems like an old story. Paul actually not only had disinterest, but outright loathing and hatred for the church and hatred for Jesus. So much so that after the first Easter, this man named Paul spent his time trying to arrest Christians and snuff out the early church in its first few years. And then something happened to him. He was on his way to a city in Syria called Damascus, and he got knocked on his backside. And the resurrected Jesus appeared to him and totally changed his life. We're going to hear some of Paul's words written in the Bible in a book called 1 Corinthians chapter 15. My favorite chapter about the resurrection. Maybe in the whole Bible. Amazing words. This man wrote, very honestly, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Don't think of coming to Easter Sunday morning worship as a pitiable person, do you? But Paul is saying, if what you're hearing this morning isn't true, if Jesus of Nazareth wasn't raised by the power of God, if he didn't walk out of the grave, everyone else should feel sorry for you because you are wasting your time and wasting your life. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. From Paul's perspective, it's not only amazing that Jesus rose from the dead, but he is the first person the first fruits in what is going to one day happen to everybody and everything. You might think of Easter as a nice, cozy, religious holiday, but the truth of the matter is that Easter has been let out of the box and into the wider world. If it is real at all, it is real for everybody and everything. We don't often use this word, first fruits. It means like... You know, if you find the first strawberry of the spring, like in the month of May, or you find it at the Jewel, right? And you buy that strawberry and eat it, and you're like, I haven't had a local fresh-grown strawberry in like nine or ten months. This tastes amazing. And not only does it taste amazing right in that moment when you pop the strawberry in your mouth, but it is a sign that all kinds of amazing strawberries and then blueberries and then raspberries are coming your way, even here in the north. Like, that's what a first fruit is. My family used to live in northern Michigan, where, month, where spring comes like six weeks later than it does in Chicago. I mean, like this time of year, there's no daffodils yet. There's no buds on the trees, not even a hint of a tulip. The first sign of spring in northern Michigan was this sign. Honestly, the Dairy Queen would open and it would be like 34 degrees out on April 2 and the whole town in Ludington, Michigan, where we lived, would go to Dairy Queen 
Like we had nice ice cream shops there where all the tourists went, but if you were from that little beach town in Michigan, you knew Dairy Queen was where it was at. And even though it was 34 degrees and sleeting sideways, you tasted that first taste of spring and knew that someday soon the snow fences were coming down on the beach, it would get warm, tourists would return, all the businesses would open, and the amazing long days of summer were ahead. Paul says, when Jesus walked out of the grave, it's just the first sign, the first taste of the amazing, endless summer reality that God is going to bring to everything and everybody. Jesus is a sign, among other things, of what's ahead for the rest of us. But how does this work, you might be asking yourself. How do these signs work? Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 this. When you sow a seed, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps it's wheat or something else. But God gives that seed a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed... He gives its own body. Here's a picture of a bunch of different kinds of seeds. Do you know what those are going to grow up to and look like? I, quite frankly, I think I recognize pumpkin seeds. They're like the big green ones at about 2 o'clock. Do those seeds look anything like a grown-up pumpkin? Anybody plant daffodil bulbs last fall? Do they resemble daffodils at all? No, when the helicopters start coming down from the maple trees in a while, do those look anything like a grown-up maple tree? Or how about when the cottonwoods give you allergies? Do these look like huge cottonwood trees? Paul is saying, what you're running around in right now, like this body, these bodies, these are the seeds, people. What God is going to do for us when he resurrects us is to give us a life beyond which we can imagine or contemplate at this point. You are someday going to be so alive that what you are experiencing right now is going to feel like the deepest sleep that you have ever felt. Now, this is a humbling thought because most mornings I wake up and I think I'm pretty alive. Like, I feel pretty good. I'm going to get some stuff done, right? Can you accept that you are more like that maple tree helicopter right now sitting here than you are the maple tree that by God's grace and by God's resurrection power, you are one day going to become? Can you accept that? It's humbling, right? About, about all this, about all the things that are so important to us. Right here and right now, Paul is saying, you are more like a pumpkin seed than a pumpkin. You are more like a dead bulb than the actual daffodil. He goes on to say this, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised 
in power. It is sown merely a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Our God is in the transformation business, and it happened to Jesus of Nazareth first. He is the first fruits. And this man, Paul, whose words we're reading, he was pretty near the front of the line. I mean, he went from a person who hated the church to being so utterly transformed that he spent the rest of his adult life planting churches and starting churches. He went from arresting and imprisoning Christians to being undesirable, wanted person number one in the Roman Empire. Transformation happens to a person like you or me only through God's great love or through great suffering. And on this holy week, we saw Jesus give us the gift of both to display for us on the cross and now on resurrection morning, great suffering and the great love and power of our God. Paul found the love of God in Jesus, and then for years, he suffered in serving Christ so that he might know Jesus more and more. What about now? What about here in 2022? What does the life of a person who's actually transforming and changing look like? Because quite frankly, most of us are like, hey, maybe I'm a pumpkin seed, just leave me alone, right? Because if you feed me and water me too much, then I'm going to break out of my shell. It sounds painful. Like, I kind of like my life the way it is. I would like to hold out in front of you this morning a person, I don't know if they're a believer or not, but I do know they are undergoing an amazing season of transformation, this man named Will Smith. Have you heard of him recently? Right? Somebody, somebody dubbed what happened at the Oscars a few weeks ago, the slap heard round the world. Our daughter who lives in Spain, I asked her like three days after that happened, I was like, hey, has news of this made it to Europe? And she's like, oh yeah, it's like all anybody is talking about, even in Europe. I am not here to give you my take on what happened at the Oscars, right? There's enough people to give their take. Who was right? Who was wrong? Should the comedian have made the joke? Was it so offensive that he deserved to be slapped? Not going to get into all that. Here's what you need to know about Will Smith. It's not something that just happened in that moment. Standing here with his biography, I'm going to read you a couple short paragraphs about what he says about himself. Quoting this man, I've always thought of myself as a coward. My earliest memories of my childhood involved me always being afraid in some way, afraid of other kids, afraid of being hurt or embarrassed, afraid of being seen as weak, but mostly I was afraid of my father. When I was nine years old, I watched my father punch my mother in the side of her head so hard that she collapsed. I saw her spit blood. That moment in that bedroom, probably more than any other moment in my life, has defined who I am to this day. Within everything that I have done since then, the awards, the accolades, the movies, the spotlights, the attention, the characters, the laughs, there has always been a subtle string of apology to my mother for my inaction on that day, for failing her in that crucial moment, for failing to stand up to my father, for being a coward. What you have to come to understand as Will Smith, in quotation marks, the alien annihilating MC, the bigger life movie star, is largely a construction, 
a carefully crafted and honed character designed to protect myself, to hide myself from the wider world, to hide the coward. Now, isn't that something? If you saw that moment on the Oscars, you saw a comedian make a joke, you saw Will Smith laugh for a second and look over at his wife, who was not laughing. And then this man who refuses to be a coward stood up and lost it. It's not just that he slapped a man on national television. But in this book, he is making a confession to his deepest fear, the thing that is bent in his heart of hearts. In the wake of this, there's been some consequences for Will Smith. He's not going to the Oscars for another 10 years. He's been banned from the Academy. And he issued what I think is a compelling apology. I'm going to read a few lines. Quite frankly, this is better than any apology I've read from a politician or pastor who's messed up in the last decade. Will Smith writes, I would like to publicly apologize to Chris Rock. I was way out of line and I was wrong. I am embarrassed by my actions and they were not indicative of the man that I desire to be. I would also like to apologize to the Academy, the producers of the show, all the attendees, everyone watching around the world. I deeply regret that my behavior has stained this journey for all of us. I am a work in progress. Lord have mercy. What person in this room cannot say amen to that? I am a work in progress. This is how resurrection life works, friends. Jesus walked out of a tomb and was utterly transformed. For the rest of us, it takes time. It takes God's grace and love to work on us like light and water. It takes pain to work on us like the air that we need to breathe in order to slowly let the resurrected self that God desires for us to be begin to emerge from this this body of sin that we were born into the world with. But rest assured, no matter what your past, no matter what your vexing issue, God desires to bring you resurrected life. He loves you too much to leave you right where you are. Transformation, if you will have it, is coming for you. Here's what Paul says about it. In Christ... All will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, that's what this day is all about. And then when he comes, those who belong to him, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, the darkness, authority, and power. For Jesus must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Will you read that last line with me? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yes, as our choir sang at the beginning, death is dead. Love has won and Christ has conquered.
If your life goes into the grave with Jesus, if you are with Christ, you are going to rise up with him and be the maple tree. To be the you that only God has designed you to uniquely be. On Easter Sunday morning, Jesus came out of the tomb. Just a few things remained and stayed back. Right? Part of the Easter story is that Jesus grave clothes and the, and the cloth that had covered his head as he came down from the cross, those were folded up neatly, says John chapter 20, and they were in the corner of the tomb. It's a remarkable little detail. I think of it this way. There are maybe a few things about our current life that can be folded up neatly, tucked away in the corner of the tomb, and never need to come out again. Quite frankly, if Will Smith is undergoing a real version of resurrection transformation, maybe his need for the spotlight and the attention, like, that can stay in the corner. But the deeper things, the essential things, the core things about who we are, our identity, who we were made to be, God is going to raise those up, bring them out of the darkness of this life and into the bright, warm sunshine of eternal, lasting, imperishable, resurrected life. That's going to be quite a church service that day. I want to invite you, friends, um, to have a moment of quiet. Maybe there's something in your own life that you recognize in the light of this word from God that you'd like to remain folded up neatly and tucked in the corner of the tomb and by God's grace, it can just stay there because there's no longer any use for it. Jesus didn't need a dead person's clothes any longer. But there are also things in your life right now, perhaps there's just one thing that you know for certain that it would please God so much to bring life, to give air, to give good soil, to shine the light on so that even now in this world, it might start to burst forth into real life. Let's be quiet and let the Holy Spirit guide our thoughts and prayers. Lord, hear our prayers and the longing of our hearts. We too desire to be more alive. We look forward to be fully alive with you, Lord Jesus, in the world that is coming where all things are made right and whole and connected and living. We put ourselves into your hands, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.